0: Welcome to Open Plaza, a podcast created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. Each episode, we focus on a topic that matters to you, whether you're in the field, the academy, or the clergy. My name is Stephen DiTrolio Coakley. Today, we bring you a conversation between Daniel Carol Rodas and Jean-Pierre Ruiz about the Bible and immigration.
1: For more information about today's talk, go to htiopenplaza.org. Greetings, this is uh, Dr. Danny Keller-Rodas. I teach at Wheaton College, and this morning or this afternoon, whatever time you're listening, we're going to be talking about the Bible and immigration. And I'm here with a a good friend of mine uh, who's become a dear friend uh, over over a trip to Buenos Aires a few months ago, um, Jean-Pierre Ruiz. So, Jean-Pierre, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Greetings, everybody. I'm Dr. Jean-Pierre Ruiz, and I teach on the faculty of the Theology and Religious Studies Department at St. John's University in New York City.
1: And we're both very interested in the Bible and immigration. We've both been very involved in this, but from very different backgrounds. So, Jean-Pierre, how did you get involved in this whole immigration debate, and how did you get interested in connecting it to the Bible? Well, um, in the interests of
0: Full disclosure, I'm a Roman Catholic priest of the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York, and the Diocese of Brooklyn, New York while being the smallest in territory, is one of the densest in terms of population and one of the most diverse uh, in the entire uh, United States in terms of the places of origin. One former bishop of ours, when he arrived in the diocese, exclaimed, the world is here, we are a diocese of immigrants. So to be in Brooklyn, to be in Queens, to be in New York City is to be very, very conscious Uh, Of the reality of people on the move of various sorts. Wander through a New York airport and you see people uh, who are being escorted into the United States uh, as refugees, as migrants from different countries to make a new future for themselves because they weren't able to do so in their countries of origin, where most of them would have preferred to have stayed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to be a Christian uh, in New York City, uh, to be attentive to what the Bible has to say
1: about this reality is really very, very urgent. But you and I were talking in Buenos Aires this summer that there's also a personal dimension to this, your own family background, because if you look at your name, it's Jean-Pierre, which is French, and Ruiz. So how how do those go together? Well, if
0: you were to tell my mother that it was French, she wouldn't be very pleased because (laughs) it's actually Belgian. Uh, My mom was Belgian and my father, thanks to the Jones Act, became a US citizen which meant he was eligible to be drafted and sent on an all expenses paid voyage from Puerto Rico across the Atlantic Ocean to England and then across the English Channel to Europe where his unit, to make a long story short, liberated my mother's town. Hmm. One thing led to another. My mother traveled to Puerto Rico, emigrated to Puerto Rico after the war, and we like to say to do three things. To perfect her Spanish, which she did, to marry my father, which she did, and to learn to cook. And we don't talk about my mother's cooking (laughs) in polite company. Fortunately, serendipitously, or by providence, or some combination of the three, when my uh, parents then moved uh, from the island of Puerto Rico to New York City, my father found a job as a cook. Mm. Go figure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a personal story too. Uh, My second surname is Rodas. And my mother was Guatemalan. And so I was raised bilingual and bicultural in Houston. And we would go to Guatemala just about every summer. And sometimes we would spend the whole summer. My family would, would put us in school. The Guatemalan school year begins in January and goes to October. So when it was vacation here, it was school there. So they would put us in school and we had family all over the country. And my abuela would come up, you know, my grandmother would come up uh, just about every year and spend some months with us. With us. And then As an adult, I went and taught in Guatemala for for about 15 years before coming back to the U.S. So that's kind of my Latin background. And then when I come to the U.S., we go to the city of Denver, where I was teaching at a seminary. And uh, uh, a student who was Peruvian said, you know, we need to start something in Spanish. He was a pastor. And um, so eventually we did. And we started a, a Hispanic program at a lower lay level. And uh, we began with three churches, people from three churches, and they were all undocumented. And that's how I became, you know, cognizant of it. Because when I was growing up, it was just part of our life. We never talked about it. Um, so going to Denver is when I first came into contact with this whole immigration you know, issue and became involved in the Alianza Ministerial Hispana in Denver. Got to know the churches, and that's how I got into into this. And we're both Old Testament professors. (laughs) And so the way I got into it, I was wondering, uh, does the Bible say anything? And when I started thinking about it, which would have been, golly, 12, 13 years ago, there really wasn't much out there. And so I thought, well, let me see what's in the Old Testament. And there is so much, as you know, uh, from beginning to end of the Bible about migration, that the history of the world is the history of migration, and you're seeing the Bible. But I think each of us have kind of favorite stories, right? Uh, when we teach or write about it, uh, we may kind of default to certain stories. Do you have a particular story or set of stories that, that, that really to you are, are so applicable to what's going on today? Sure. Uh, as I read the
0: Hebrew Bible, as I read the Old Testament, and as I think about the realities of people on the move today. Um, One of the sets of stories that I've been thinking about a great deal is the story of Joseph in Egypt. Uh, Joseph is a victim of human trafficking. He's sold into slavery by his brothers and finds himself in a very, very difficult predicament in Egypt. Um, And yet he refuses to assimilate. He accommodates only in so far as it's necessary and he makes a place for himself in the Egyptian court and he winds up being the one who rescues his father. Uh, and his brothers uh, from famine, because they become economic refugees, mm-hmm. or they become ecological refugees because of the famine in the land of Canaan. Um, Joseph is a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams, and we hear a lot about dreamers these days, uh, particularly because Dhaka has now been argued before the Supreme Court and because we're in the process of waiting for waiting to see how uh, the Supreme Court is going to rule. Uh, on Dhaka. And what connects the story of Joseph with the other story that I'm really interested in uh, these days um, is the story of Daniel. And biblical scholars think hard about the relationship between those two sets of stories, the long Joseph cycle, Genesis 37 all the way through chapter 50, with one chapter in between that doesn't belong to the story. Mm -hmm. And then the entire book of Daniel. Well, what's interesting about the book of Daniel is that in the first six chapters, this is the story of an exile. This is the story of someone who is in Babylon, according to the story, Mm -hmm. not because he wanted to be there, but Mm -hmm. because he was forced to be there. Uh, And as much as he is pressured into becoming Babylonian, he retains his faithful covenant way of life. He retains his adherence uh, to the dietary laws and so on and so on. And this distinguishes him because he's then able to interpret the dreams of the king. It gives him a skill, it gives him an ability that nobody else has. But what's interesting is that while we have this in the first half of the book, In the second half of the book, the apocalyptic chapters of Daniel, chapters Mm -hmm. 7 through 12, Mm -hmm. which are so popular among some Christians even in our day, Daniel goes from being the interpreter of other people's dreams to the visionary himself, to the dreamer himself. And he doesn't dream small dreams. He dreams about the meaning of everything. He dreams about the sovereignty of God and the triumph of God uh, over the forces that are opposed to God. I find that enormously fascinating. Which Old Testament stories do you find captivating, appealing, relevant?
1: Well, I, I love the Joseph story um, because, you know, there he is um, wrestling with both cultures, and you and I have always, that's been our life, right? Wrestling across cultures. But one story that sticks out to me is the book of Ruth. Um, it's, a, it's a great story. The story begins, again, ecological disaster, there's famine in Bethlehem, and, and uh, Naomi and her husband and two sons, they cross the Jordan and the other side of the Dead Sea to Moab as immigrants, uh, and the two sons marry Moabite women, so these two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, marry immigrants, and uh, after a few years, the husband of Naomi dies, the two sons die, and now uh, Naomi wants to go home, she hears things are better. She tries to convince her daughters-in-law to stay in Moab, and uh, Orpah eventually will stay, but Ruth says she'll go back. Now, what fascinates me is that she says that very famous line, your people, my people, and your God, my God, I'll die with you. And Naomi doesn't say a word, which I thought, that's so interesting, right? And when 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 they go back to Bethlehem in the end of chapter one, the people of the town come out and they greet Naomi and Ruth isn't even mentioned. And um, Naomi doesn't introduce her, and you kind of wonder if Ruth is standing in the corner. just kind of awkward. (laughs) But Naomi says, I have come back a bitter woman because the Lord has taken away everything from me. And all the things that she had lost had been in Moab, and now she has a Moabite woman with her. So you wonder if there's tension. And so when you read the book of Ruth, what you're seeing is a woman working so hard to get integrated as a foreigner into this town of of Bethlehem and there's all kind of little side stories in there but the the part of it that really gets to me at the end is um, in chapter 4 at the very end, Boaz is married, uh, Ruth, and they have a son and the women of the town who had basically ignored uh, Ruth at the beginning say, you know she, meaning Ruth, she loves you more than seven sons. And Naomi doesn't answer a word. But then they take the little baby, and they say, This little boy, when he grows up, is going to take care of you. And they give Naomi the child, and she takes him. And you know, I, I wonder, maybe now there'll be a, a deeper acceptance of Ruth through the children. And that's what we see in our immigrant communities. It's the children that become the bridge to the larger culture. And and then Obed, the son, is kind of like me, because he's a half-breed, right? His father is Boaz, from Bethlehem, and his mother is a foreigner, a Moabite. And my father was, you know, an American, from Boston, and my mother was a Guatemalan. And so I'm the half-breed. I'm Obed, you see? And the thing that is so amazing at the end of the book, there's the genealogy that'll take you all the way to David, So this poor peasant foreign woman becomes the mother of this child, Obed, who becomes the ancestor of David. I mean, who would have thought that this peasant woman would change the history of the country itself? And so these are the kinds of stories, I think, that can really encourage our people, you know? And so you and I have been working on this for years. This is one of the things that was so fun about being with you in in Buenos Aires. So you've you've written a book on this, haven't you? What's the, what's the name of the book? I'm trying to remember. It's readings from the edges, the Bible, and people on the move. And are you working on some other things, essays
0: or? or I'm actually working on a sequel really? uh, to that book uh, because one of the uh, one of the points that I make uh, in the book and in talks that I've given uh, around and about the issues of the book is that when people talk about migrants, people on the move today there tends to be uh, an inclination to homogenize them, to make it appear as though they're all the same. You know, according to the occupant of the White House, there are so many bad hombres among them. So there is the, the, the tendency to make it appear as though they are all the same. But one of the uh, insights that comes from reading stories about people on the move in the Bible is that each person on the move each migrant, each refugee, each asylum seeker, each international student, has a very, very different story. Mm. So that, for example, when you talk about Ruth, she's not just the Moabite, as she's constantly referred to in the book, throughout the That's book, right. nobody calls her by name. That's right. She's the Moabite, the Moabite, the Moabite. Mm. Um, she's not just a Moabite. She's an individual with a story and a project and a destiny and ultimately an important place in the story of, of Israel uh, as someone in David's family tree without whom David would not have been. You know, So that uh, the, the, the overwhelming insight that comes to me from reading these ancient stories is that there are so many stories being written today uh,
1: by people on the move. It, it's so interesting too with the Old Testament that when I speak to audience, audiences, I speak to the majority culture, as you probably have to as well, but also when I'm with Latino and Latina, uh, churches and, and, and groups is that one thing is to try to convince the majority culture that these things are actually in the Bible. And then, uh, which usually gets the wow effect. We didn't know that was in there. And then, uh, when I speak to Latino groups, Latina groups, you get the same response that they're surprised. But now the Bible works differently for them. And now they can find themselves in those stories. So we've got your book, the Reading the Bible, what was it from? It's readings? Reading from the Edges. Reading from the Edges. And I think that's wonderful because it's, it's reading, the outsider is reading and actually the outsider is the insider of the story. Uh, I've written a book called Christians at the Border, Immigration. Um, the church and the bible and then i'll be coming out with a new book in may called the bible and borders uh, and it's the, the subtitle is, is hearing god's voice on immigration so uh it's been great to be with you jean pierre you know to hook up again here for this podcast yeah. we were together in buenos aires at a seminar we were talking about this in buenos aires and hearing all these voices from latin america and here we are in the u.s um different context but uh, same kind of problems isn't it absolutely yeah
0: and very different approaches to it yeah so that um in focusing on the narratives about people and the move both mm-hmm. in the bible and in, in the present day i think we're doing something a bit different than others have done focusing on the thou shalts and yeah. the thou shalt nots yeah much more interesting and much more appealing i think
1: yeah and and life-giving Absolutely. Life-giving. So great to be with you, and I hope this podcast, uh, those who are listening, that it'll be helpful. Estamos a la orden, as we would say in Spanish. We're always here to serve you, so if you have any questions about about this topic, contact us. I'm Danny Carol Rodas. I teach at Wheaton College, and you are? I'm Jean-Pierre Ruiz from St. John's University in New York City. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides these podcasts as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.